Welcome back to the next episode in the For Dog's Sake podcast. Today we're going to cover an entire episode on myth busting. And as always, you've got myself, Louise Cowell Pearson, founder and trainer at Canine Friends Training and Behaviour. And we've got the lovely Jay. Yeah, I'm Jay Gurdon from goodguardianship.com and I also run Blue Mile Minion. And as I said, today we're going to focus on myth busting. Um, we're going to try and keep this a shorter episode for you, but as always, if you are an existing listener, you will know Jay and I can go on a little bit. So we're going to start, jump straight in, and I wanted to cover something which I get, I see all the time, and it grinds my gears because it actually causes problems. Uh, the, it causes the exact problem that people are trying to prevent. Now that is how to deal with or prevent resource guarding. Now resource guarding, to explain to those that aren't sure what that is, that is when a dog perhaps guards an object, let's say their food, a toy, a chew, a person, another dog, an object. It can be anything. Most commonly you get dogs that resource guard foods or objects, but it can be people and and other items as well. It can essentially be any object. Now, over years, we've been told that we should stick our hand in our dog's food and pick it up, take the bowl away. We should be able to stroke our dogs when they're eating. We should be able to take their food away whenever we want. And if they growl at us, it's naughty. Now, if you are doing this, you are potentially causing a problem. Now, let me explain a little bit what I mean by this. So let's use a human analogy. You've just sat down to enjoy your lovely pizza that you've been waiting all day for you've ordered it from your favorite takeaway and you go to take your first slice and someone takes that plate away from you now the first time that happens you might be like what's going on maybe just a bit curious even you might not even be that annoyed because you're just not sure why it's happening and then the food comes back and you think oh well okay that's back next time you go to take your next slice the food gets taken away again at this point you're starting to get a little bit annoyed i just want to eat my bloody pizza i've been at work all day i'm really excited it's my favorite pizza and it gets taken away again with no explanation why and someone just stands there holding it over you and won't give it back to you um, for a certain period of time you then get given it back as you go to try and take your second slice again because you haven't you've only had one slice you just you want to eat the whole thing it gets taken away again or someone touches it or someone takes away a slice themselves without asking you're probably going to start to get annoyed and if every single time you ate or ordered a pizza or even ate any amount of food ever someone came and took it away from you or touched it or tried to give you give you a hug whenever you were trying to eat you're gonna eventually probably tell them to go away and it's probably going to be something much much stronger than go away that you use you may escalate that if you start saying please go away don't do that and that starts getting ignored eventually you may escalate to that to the point of swearing or shouting you know i just want to eat i can never eat this is this is unreal i just want to eat my pizza it is the same for a dog if you keep taking away and touching their food and a dog will naturally eventually probably tell you off for it and it'll probably start with a simple growl And when they get punished for that, they may then, which you shouldn't do, by the way, but we're going to cover that in a different episode. But when they growl, because that's their way of saying, please go away. That is a growl is at that stage of the human analogy. If that repeatedly starts getting ignored, you may get a growl, a lunge, a growl and a lunge. And that's maybe the point where you as the human were starting to really have a go at the person taking your pizza away. If you start ignoring, keep ignoring that and or telling them off for that, 
they may eventually escalate that to a growl, a lunge, and a snap. And this is the point of the human analogy where you're really starting to lose your rag. If this keeps happening, they may eventually escalate to a bite. Because, and that's the human version of probably bopping someone on the nose and go, please leave me alone. I really, really want to eat my food. So you can see why if you are constantly trying to take their food away from them, that is really annoying and you're probably going to cause a problem rather than solve one. So now you're probably thinking, well, what do I do? The best and only way to prevent resource guarding is not to give your dog a reason to guard it. Leave them alone. You would want to be left alone while you were eating and it's the same for your dogs. Now, of course, if you've, got, if you've got a rescue dog that's perhaps an ex-street dog, resource guarding their food may be something that is very natural to them because it's something that's kept them alive on the streets. However, that treating that is going to be slightly different than how you would prevent it. We'd probably go above board for a dog with existing resource guarding and I would urge you to speak to professional about something like that to make sure you're managing it in the safest way for all involved. But if you want to prevent resource guarding from the beginning, the simplest way is to just give them their food and leave them alone. It is really as simple as that. The same goes for chews. If your dog has got picked something up that they can't have, don't run after them and snap it out, snatch it out of their mouth. Offer them something instead. If every time you go to take something off your dog and you give them a treat instead and you wait for them to drop it to take the treat, they're only going to ever see you coming as adding things and not taking away. So therefore, they're not going to run off with those pair of socks or knickers that you don't want them to do. They're going to pick something up, not think anything of it because you're not constantly taking things off them. But if they let go of it and simultaneously, you maybe even your teacher drop at the same time and they get a reward, they're never going to get into that habit of, you know, when you see those dogs that pick up those pair of knickers and then they're running around the garden. It may be that they're not necessarily trying to actively guard it, i.e. from a fear perspective. It may be that that has been reinforced as fun for them equally that's also a bit of a pain in the ass as well if they're doing that so we just want to prevent it at all every angle from picking something up or having food being something they feel the need to guard jay do you have anything you want to add on that yeah i'm just you're talking about pizza i'm thinking if anyone gets between me and my food they're getting a fork in the back of their hand (laughs) it's just not on you wouldn't put up with it as a human so why why do we expect dogs to i mean touch my food feel my fork is a is a is a famous that needs to be on a (laughs) t-shirt like i mean I, I have a dog who I probably could take his food away if I wanted to because I never have. I, you know, his food goes down and very occasionally if I walk past him, something nice might fall in his bowl out of my hand. But that is the grand total of the interference with his food after he is fed. And I mean, you guys have just heard my five minute long monologue on why, how to, to prevent resource guarding and what not to do. Um, So hopefully it's given you, you know, a few tips. And and when you do look at it from the human perspective, it does make total sense. Um, if If a resource is being taken away, you're going to naturally guard it. It's instinctual. Um, And I mean, Jay knows a lot more about kind of genetics and and breed traits and history of the dog and all of those kind of really sciencey things. But um, guarding a resource is a very natural instinct for a dog anyway, because back in the day, um, the dogs that guarded their resources and their food were the ones that therefore eat and therefore lived and it survived on. Am I wrong? <laughs> no, no, you're absolutely right. If, if you go back sort of historically, we don't know exactly for sure 
quite when and where domestication of dogs started. But the dog, and certainly like the, the precursor, the ancestor of the dog, was a scavenger. And when they found food, they protected it because otherwise they didn't eat. And it, it is thought that that could be one of the ways in which humans and dogs started to coexist. Dogs were used for guarding properties and livestock. And one, one of the theories says that humans sort of started to feed them the waste. So they kind of stayed around. It's just an animal that is a scavenger and has sort of live by what they can find. Hanging on and guarding those resources it is going to be such... It, it's genetically wired into them. And especially, like you mentioned, the street dogs who have actually lived that lifestyle for a while. Yeah, it's something that really you're going to expect because they have grown up knowing that they have to protect what they have. And although you know that you're not going to take their nice tasty bone away from them, they don't know that. They have no clue. So you often hear people say, well, as you mentioned, you know, what if they get something that I don't want? Teach the value of a swap. If they pick up something you don't want them to have... You have something wonderful that they would that they would give anything for. I do just want to caveat both the swap that I talked about and what Jay's talking about with there isn't the exception, of course, and that is if it's something that is highly dangerous to your dog. By all means, go straight in there and get it. If it is, a, you know, something that is dangerous, like some glass or some chocolate, something like that, you know, training has to go out the window at that point because you're going to need to just get in there and make sure that their safety is put first. But all of that aside, we never want to be doing it. And even then, if we've taught a really solid drop, we're going to probably try that first, even if it is something, you know, drop, you know, get them to try and drop it straight away. Because you might be able to say that before you can even reach them to get it out of their mouth. So at least on the way over, say drop and try that. It is a really, really common one. And I've seen so many cases where I've gone out to see people specifically for resource guarding and they've talked I've gone you know tell me about what you've done with dogs so far and they go well you know from eight weeks old we, we've taken the food away we've we've made sure we stroke them while they're eating chews and and this is only well-meaning by the way like these people aren't deliberately trying to cause a problem but it has unfortunately caused a problem and that's from misinformation and it does kind of lead into a little bit of the debunked pack theory that we need to be in charge and we've got to we have to take the food away from them so they know who's boss but we are going to talk about that in depth on another episode however you don't need to worry too much if you're not causing a problem um actually less is more in this case there are so many things and resource guarding is a big one of them that actually you know prevention is far better than cure and this it, it's a thing that is really easy to prevent you know, especially when you have your dog from a puppy and they've just it's never been something they've had to worry about they won't and so you're not going to have that problem yeah luna has never ever ever in fact i take that back she has growled once at sam when she had a chew and it turned out it was a couple of weeks before she came into season so she obviously was just feeling a bit hormonal and he just happened to be walking past but other than that she has never ever 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 once growled at us ever to be honest and secondly has never resource guarded around us because we've never given her reason to and we just ignored it because lo and behold she came into season a couple of weeks later she was obviously just full of hormones and it was it was out of character if i wanted to i could take something off of luna and she wouldn't do anything and i know that because i have had to on rare occasions and even then i've offered a trade so 
but I've never given her reason to guard something. So she never does it. So she's never worried about... She'll sit on the sofa right next to us with her chew. She's not taking it off into the room because she's worried we're going to take it. She sat on the sofa making a bloody mess, but <laughs> with a pizzle stick, which if you don't know what that is, Google it. Um, <laughs> not at work. Yeah. Don't Google yeah, that. No, they, they smell and yeah, it's not the one, but she loves them, so... <laughs> Finn, Finn will actually bring me his chews to hold for him. Yeah, here, mum, have it. <laughs> yeah, always, it's always the smelly ones too. But to, to go back to her growling when just before she came into season, if you go back that back to the human analogy with that, that would be like someone trying to take a bar of chocolate off me when I've got PMT. Which you know, anyone who knows me will say you do not do. No, no, it's not going to happen. So if anyone, if you if you know about threshold in terms of training, i.e. The, the the amount with which a dog can cope with stress, uh, there's no threshold when women have that time of the month and when dogs are off or bitches, I should say, are coming to season. I don't like that term, bitches, but that is the technical term because um, I don't know. For me, that word has such a negative connotation in modern society. Anyway, that's a whole other different topic, but. I hope this makes sense on resource guarding and I hope it has uh, busted the myth for you if you maybe even didn't know it was a myth that need busting. And Jay's got a really good one as well that she's going to talk to you about now as well. Yeah, I want to talk a bit about harnesses. Now, harnesses, they didn't really exist when I first had dogs. Every, you know, All dogs were walked on a collar or most of them actually were walked on choke chains. Uh, but harnesses have really, in the last sort of... 20, 30 years really sort of come into prominence and along with them have come some myths and the one in particular is that harnesses cause pulling which drives me mental it really does the first thing to say with a harness is that you need to look for a well-fitting harness uh, one that it has a wide shape at the front so it's not impinging on the shoulder movement and people will often find that if they switch to a harness their dog will initially pull a bit more because it's actually more comfortable for them than pulling on a collar now that much is true because if you think about it a collar going around their throat you've got some very vulnerable and delicate structures in there so it's not going to be comfortable for them the thing is a harness doesn't actually create the root cause of the pulling but what it also doesn't do it doesn't magically make pulling stop the only thing that will stop pulling on leads is training the only ethical thing yes yeah, the, on, the only thing that will stop effectively and ethically pulling on the lead is training. So you can't just slap a harness on and expect it to work. There are some harnesses that actually do have aversive effects and they are very definitely best avoided. Again, because you don't want your dog to associate walk time with any kind of discomfort. Loose lead walking training, it's... We all know it is not the most interesting thing on earth to train. It takes ages and it takes a lot of consistency. But it is so worth it because once you've got it, it's relatively easy to maintain. You've just got to keep providing incentive for your dog, i.e. whatever's rewarding for them, be it food, play, the environment around them. Um, You've just got to keep providing that incentive for them so that they therefore continue to be engaged with that. Uh, loosely walking and the other mistake that people will sometimes make when they're starting to try and teach loosely walking with a dog who has previously pulled you can't expect to just pop the harness on and go straight out for your normal walk 
and have the dog walk perfectly. That's what we mean when we say it won't magically cure pulling. You do have to start going through the stages. And actually, as part of Louise's puppy course, she has fantastic modules on teaching loose lead walking, which will work whatever the age of dog. Yes, I am actually at some point going to release it as a standalone module uh standalone course sorry for adult dogs because or dogs of any age i should say because it it the same rules apply for all um teaching is teaching at the end of the day whether it's a puppy or a three-year-old dog yes no matter what anyone says you can teach an old dog new tricks Very oh definitely. absolutely like we, we do it day in day out with people like you know puppies is such a small percentage of dogs that we see and you know one of my clients has a nine year old dog a rescue dog been with them for six years um reactive bite history and she is seeing incredible uh, improvements because she's doing the work and many would argue that that wouldn't oh it's not possible you can't teach that old dog new tricks it's that long rehearsed um but she's putting in the effort and she's getting the results yeah that's the thing isn't it if it's something that's been rehearsed for a long time, it's not going to change quickly. But putting the work in and consistently and making sure that you, you follow the steps in the right way, it will work. And it will work for teaching your dog to walk nicely in a harness. I mean, what you can do in the initial stages, if you are worried about your dog pulling, is if you get a harness like the Perfect Fit or the Rough Wear Front Range that has a clip on the back and a clip on the chest... And you can actually attach the lead both ends so that there's nothing unpleasant that happens to the dog when they try to pull, but the front clip will just actually kind of turn them towards you so they can't pull off. And then you can bring them back to where you want them to be and then you can start reinforcing where you'd like them to walk instead without causing any discomfort or stress for the dog. I mean, to be honest, that, that kind of brings us on to one of our next topics, doesn't it? Which was, um, there's this myth... It does. And it is being peddled a lot recently. I've seen it a lot on my social media anyway. That um, positive reinforcement trainers or training is bribery. And it's bribery only. And sometimes you get clients that will come and they'll go, well, I don't want to have to bribe my dog forever. Um, and now there's a couple of different things I, I want to uh, myth bust within this. So first of all, positive reinforcement trainers, there is technically no such thing as positive reinforcement only you have the four quadrants and most training will use probably two of them we try and avoid anything more than that um for example positive punishment which is basically adding a negative such as adding a bit of pain as a result of doing something in the hope to reduce the likelihood of that behavior so that's just one of the other examples um now what we do as positive reinforcement trainers is we use the tools within us to make sure we're never using anything that is ethically not needed to help the dog or is going to cause any pain or anything like that so it kind of is just a term that encompasses a belief an ethics a sort of way of of working with animals it doesn't mean we only use we only ever reward the dog we do set boundaries but they're set in a kind and ethical way i.e. I will withhold a treat until you do the thing that you need to do and then you get the treat that's technically not positive reinforcement so there's lots of different things to it so first of all there's that element secondly bribery versus reward are very very different and the key thing in that is timing so if you are showing a bit of sausage to a dog to then get them to recall back to you 
it is unlikely that when you have don't have that food they're going to come because you are showing them that here I've got the food come and then get the food if you call them over and you've taught a solid recall command and when they get to you you then present them with the reward such as food it can be toys it can be the environment around them that is reinforcing a behavior that is producing a reward as a result of an action that is not bribery now If bribery is ever being used in training, you can sometimes use it such as what we call luring. Sometimes we will lure behaviors that we like, but we will quickly um, phase out the timing of that treat, have it without a treat and and reward after the action's done. But sometimes we we will initially add something in with luring them, i.e. what I mean by that is, say, um, puppies. A lot of ways people teach lay uh, sit at first is by luring them. They hold a treat up against their nose and they move it backwards until their bum hits the floor and then they give them a treat. Technically that is bribery or could be called bribery. However, once you've paired that movement and the puppy knows it with a word such as sit, the food or the reward doesn't come out until the puppy has done the sit. So that's just an example of timing of where we use it sometimes before the thing we're asking for and where we use it after joe have you got anything to add on that yeah i'm, I'm going to go back to the human analogy again because I, I like human analogies it helps people to understand the way that positive reinforcement works when we use it properly it's no different to doing a job and getting paid for it yeah you, know, you okay you know that the reward is coming but it's not there in front of your nose the whole time just you'd have learned by association that if you do this job you get paid for it and it's exactly the same for dogs with, with reinforcement and it really does come down to timing i mean your your explanation of luring was was really really good because we only use that until the dog has learned the cue word the word that is then going to prompt the action and then we can go to we can move to say clicker training which can then help us to move the food to following... Following the behaviour or the movement, so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. so then it becomes payment rather than bribery. Exactly. So sometimes bribery is part of it, but it's part of a toolkit of many, many, many things that we use in positive reinforcement training. I like to personally use the term force-free or fear-free because that is essentially what I represent. And I do use um, positive reinforcement and I also use... Is it, I always get them confused. Is it negative punishment or is it negative reinforcement? Yeah, it's negative punishment. Negative punishment. So negative punishment is when you're withholding something, for example. Um, you're taking something. Well, Jay, you might explain it much better than me. Yeah, when, when we come to discussing the quadrants, negative and positive just mean whether you add something into a situation or take something away. So in the case of negative punishment, we're taking something away that the dog likes. So as Louise said with her example, you're withholding a treat until... The, the dog actually does the thing that you're asking them to do the other quadrant we use it quite carefully but when done well it doesn't cause any stress on the dog because again they know that if they do the thing the payment is going to come so if you're not a dog trainer or behaviorist this may be a little boring for you but it is important to understand especially if you're going to be working with dog trainers at all or even training your dog it's important to understand the theories behind these things and and what are why we do different things and and that is science um <laughs> that yeah there, there is a really valid really valid grounding for it all um we're not just fluffy cookie pushers as i have been called in the past yeah and i think haven't you got t-shirts now i have got one? t-shirts yes yeah. yes i've got a brand new t-shirt store so 
<laughs> go check it out you can buy it i'm not a fluffy cookie pusher <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah it's got pictures of cookies on it and everything <laughs> um yeah so they're just obviously we will we will end that uh bribery section on that because obviously as you know we can talk about it for hours and there's so many there's so many different things you can get into and it opens a whole whole different can of worms but Joe, you've got one final myth for us today haven't you i have got one today and it is on a subject that is very close to my heart and this is the idea that so many people seem to have that comforting a scared dog is actually going to reinforce their fear and make them more worried now I'm going to caveat this with if when a dog comes to you, you sound sort of stressed. Oh, what's wrong? What's wrong? Then you may end up causing the dog more anxiety. But that isn't that isn't comforting the dog. Um, I have an anxious dog. And when he's not sure, he comes to me and he sits next to me so that I can just stroke him quietly and just talk to him calmly. And he feels safer. So he has learned that if he comes to me when he is feeling fear, I will help make him feel better. So what I would say with this is when you're talking about reinforcement and punishment, as we do in dog training, you are talking about making things more or less likely to happen. You're talking about behaviours being more or less likely to happen. Now, fear isn't a behaviour. Fear is an emotion. And emotions aren't things that we can reinforce or punish in that kind of way what we do is we reinforce the behavior that the dog does when they feel that emotion also emotions can also govern behaviors so if you work on the underlying emotion or i.e. to make the dog feel better about something it actually can then make the behaviors the undesirable behaviors that you have as a dog guardian less likely to happen as well yeah so if you've got a dog who's scared who comes to you and what consistently happens when they come to you is that you just you know, you sort of stroke them and talk to them calmly and quiet them down, that will then actually, over repetition, make them realise that, well, actually, you know, nothing, nothing bad happens. Well, if, you, if your, your child fell over, right, so you had a child, and if every time they fell over and, and grazed their knee and they came up to you and you just completely ignored them, what is that teaching them? Um, and I don't want to get into parenting and, and, and because I'm by no, I have, don't have kids so I'm by no means an expert at that but if you hurt yourself you probably want to be comforted is what I'm getting at and that's totally okay and it's totally okay to comfort your dog if they're feeling scared now there are you can reinforce behaviours as Jay said and you can reinforce behaviours that you don't want without realising for example if your dog wasn't feeling stressed and they were barking at you to give you food from your plate at the dining table if as a result of that you gave them some of your food you probably are reinforcing that barking uh you're reinforcing that behavior but the emotion behind that is i want food not that they're scared so there are different situations where of course you would ignore the behaviors because you don't want them to be repeated or not reinforce them if you think about what we're doing when when we are reinforcing behaviors we are reinforcing things that the dog chooses to do because behaviour, by and large, it is something that is a conscious decision. You know, it, it requires thought and action from the dog. And if you think about it with fear, who is going to choose to be scared? Just from an ethical point of view, and again, it's exactly the same as Louise was saying, with if you have a child, if your child is scared and comes to you, aren't you going to comfort them? It, it, it's the same with the dog. 
As I said, I have an anxious dog. I want him to know that if he is unsure, he can come to me and I will let him know that he's okay. And I just think that, you know, don't worry so much. You know, if so many people say to me, say they've got a smaller dog and it's a smaller dog that is has is dog reactive, i.e. perhaps they're scared of other dogs. They say, oh, when they're scared, I'll pick up the dog and I probably shouldn't. And I say... Uh, and that's a phrase that I coined from a very good friend, behaviourist mind. You know, you can be their portable safe space. That is totally fine. If picking up your dog results in your dog no longer feeling that fear or feeling less severity of that fear, it is absolutely fine. Of course, we want to work towards that not always being the go-to outcome because we want to make them feel less scared. But there's absolutely nothing wrong by picking up your dog and giving them a cuddle if that's going to help them feel better. Yeah, you, you do what the dog needs in that moment. Yeah, be their portable safe space if you need to. Yeah, but that is no different to say me with my medium-sized dog turning around and hustling away to make distance. It's, it's That is no no different. You, you just do what your dog needs. And yeah. to be honest, safety trumps all. Yeah. And if being picked up makes that little dog feel safer, and to be honest, I can understand how it would because little dogs, the world does tower over them. I can relate. I'm only small myself. <laughs> Not that small, but, (laughs) you know, I can relate to a certain extent. Yeah, exactly. I think the word anthropomorphism has got such a bad rap of, you know, it's dangerous to kind of attribute human emotions to animals. Animal emotions aren't quite the same as ours, but it can be really useful to think about it in the way that we would think as people to get, especially these sort of more instinctive emotions like fear, like anxiety, um, because our experience of those isn't that much different to dogs as as far as we're aware. And it can just help us to sort of think about how dogs feel in situations and understand. And that is what dogs need from us a lot of the time is more understanding. Definitely. And there are certain emotions that that we have that dogs simply don't have the cognitive development to understand such as guilt but we will touch that in another bit myth busting myth busting myth busting episode um and i hope that this has given you guys a little bit of insight into a few of the behaviors that actually are relatively common or beliefs that are relatively common which actually are in fact true or not quite as they as you thought and maybe you've learned a few things maybe you disagree with us entirely um depends what your belief system is but in our educators opinion these are what we feel are common myths that are misunderstood joe have you got any final thoughts before we finish today's short little episode no <laughs> nothing i have absolutely nothing else to give no you've <laughs> no that, that, that's it i am i am done look i've just seen my dog has just gone on the sofa up, upside down and it looks like a really comfortable place to be yeah it's so what is it it is it's something like 28 degrees today we've got the second uh heat wave coming um so by the way guys um we do have that episode on the heat wave special so do give a listen with this heat wave coming again if you haven't done so already because there are some really great tips on how to keep your dogs cool and you know warning signs of what to look for in heat stroke and things like that so do give that a little listen um in other news i haven't announced this yet on the podcast but i have on social media i have recently qualified as an SA pro trainer with Julie Naismith so I just thought I'd have a little and announce that um because that's been something I, I celebrated uh, behind the scenes um and 
Jay knows um, all the work that I put with that. So that's a little bit of exciting news. I've got to report. Um, the only other things going on in my life at the moment are wedding planning, which is a huge stress. <laughs> and family dramas that come with wedding planning. I mean, oh my gosh, don't plan a wedding, anyone. No, just have a, just elope. Take it from me, elope. <laughs> far, far easier. Yeah, if you're looking for any help with uh, separation anxiety, give Louise a look because she's absolutely fantastic I've been watching her own journey with with her dog Luna and it has been fantastic to watch them working together I know I'm so proud we 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 did really well in the old house um but often when dogs move they they do um regress significantly often back sometimes not always sometimes back to kind of no minutes and after a couple of months of hard work since moving we are back up to 30 minutes and we actually did 30 minutes today and she absolutely aced it she laid down the whole time there was no signs of stress and we will hopefully continue to build up to those hours and two hours in the next few months so i'm really proud well done luna (laughs) she's next to me she's here anyway that's enough from us today um i hope you've enjoyed this myth busting episode if there are any myths um that you would like us to bust please do get in touch with either of us um or if you've got any episode suggestions or anything you'd like for us to talk about on upcoming episodes please don't hesitate to get in touch as always my contact details are i'm at, at canine friends uk and that is on tiktok facebook and instagram and my website is canine-friends.com and Jay, where can we get in touch with you? Uh, you can find me at Good Guardianship on Instagram, at Dog Guardians Hub on Facebook, or on my website, which is goodguardianship.com. Amazing. And we look forward to chatting to you guys next week. Have a great week, and don't get too hot in the heatwave. wave.